listen, if you'll give me 20 to 25 minutes, all right, of your time this morning, uh, we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture together. Uh, I gave our Sunday school class, um, yeah, I went and led our Sunday school class, but I didn't lead them through what I'm doing this morning, basically uh, around what we're going to walk through this morning, but I I gave them a little snapshot of what we're going to be talking about or how we're going to do this, how we're going to go about uh, this morning's message, all right? Um, And I don't know why I don't do it every time, I guess, because it's hard to come up with stories and it's hard to come up with object lessons, but I I just, I learned better that way, right? I was that kid in school uh, that I learned, uh, you know, with, with objects, right? It was easier to teach me, it was easier to keep me engaged if you had objects or you were showing me something, physically showing me something I could learn. So we're going to do that a little bit this morning, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, okay? Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses in Acts chapter 6, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a a general um, observation, right, based on what we read in those seven verses. Uh, We're going to interpret that scripture, all right, and then we're going to apply that scripture to us today. I did this with our youth on Wednesday night. I'm going to start doing this a little bit more or more occasionally uh, is looking at, at those three areas when we go to study scripture, right? Observation, interpretation, and application, all right? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I brought an object uh, that, that I want to share with you guys or show you. So y'all just hang out with me real quick, all right? All right. So, what do y'all see? Swiffer and a bowl, right? Everybody can relate to a Swiffer and a bowl, right? Uh, Maybe some of you can't, but but we can in my house, right? What is this used for? Uh, Popcorn, okay? Um, Mixing, right? Or cleaning solutions, right? You don't do both in the same, but y'all get what I'm saying, right? And you know what this is for, right? Well, let me tell you a story a few weeks ago, and Sandra, I told her I was going to do this. She didn't say no, so I guess I have approval to do it, okay? I used both of these for neither of the above, okay? We're sitting there. Have y'all ever had those days or those weeks where everything was just great, right? I mean, you, you've had those times, right, where, I mean, everything was just fantastic. You had an incredible day. Uh, in our house, a great day is uh, the boys go to bed at a decent time, right? They're fed. They had a great day at school or at home. Mama's happy. Great day at work. Man, everything is just great, right? Well, we had one of those days, and the boys had, had, had a great day. They were in bed, right? And so, generally, that is the only time that Sandra and I have together where it's not chaos, right? Because if the boys are up, we're we're playing, or we're running, or we're doing something, right? And we're using the bathroom 600 times in two hours. That's our life right now, right? And so the boys were in bed, we're sitting there, and uh, it's just, we're watching TV, Right? Sandra gets up, and she walks to the bathroom, and she screams. That is never good 
when your spouse screams and they walk into the bathroom. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, sprung a leak, you know, water's everywhere, something happened. No, that wasn't the case. There was a mouse in our bathroom. Now, if you know anything about me, there are two creatures that I cannot stand, or critters. Snakes and mice. Cannot stand them. Especially in my house. It's a mouse in our house. Let's see what I did there, right? So what does every man choose to do? Run outside and ignore it. No, I can't do that, right? I have to catch the mouse. And guess what I grab? <laughs> now, going into it, here was the plan. All right, I put my, listen, I put pants on. I had shorts on, okay? But I put pants on, and then I put boots on, right? And I stuffed my pants in my boots because I didn't want it running up my leg, right? I had this all planned out, y'all. Seriously, this true story. No fabrication whatsoever, right? And I turned to Sandra and I said, you shut the door and do not open it until I tell you to. Now, that was, that was commitment, right? Like I was all in, burn the ships, I'm going in, we're getting this mouse, I'm going to win. I was scared out of my mind. Could you imagine being in a room, uh, you know, what, 10 by 10, 12 by 12, whatever, you shut the door and it's just you and the mouse, right? And you know what Sandra says to me? She says, hey, shut out the lights, be quiet for a minute and see what it does. And I listened. <laughs> in the dark with a mouse. And I'm up under, man, I'm doing this up under the sink, up under the tub. I mean, I'm doing all this stuff, and it goes crazy. And I mean, I've got goosebumps. I'm scared out of my mind. And then it's just total silence, and nothing happens. Like, I don't hear anything. I don't see it. And every, listen, where, where the water line comes in, all of that, it's, it's I have no idea how this thing got in. Nor at that time I'm thinking, how in the world did this thing get out? There's no way it got out of the, under the bathroom door. No way. You know why? Because she stuffed a blanket under it. <laughs> so I'm in, right? And so I cut the lights back on, and, and I begin to look. She's got this thing where she has three vases stacked in the corner of the bathroom, right? And I look in the top vase, and there it is. In the vase. And I yell, open the door, and I take off. And I'm running. I didn't even use this. But I sat down that evening, and obviously I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I've got to figure out a way how this thing got in our house. And we traced it back, and it got in through our fireplace. That's where it came in. But then I'm thinking, heck, you're a dummy, dude. You seriously thought you'd catch a mouse with this? Really? Really? Now what in the world does that have to do with you and I and the Scripture this morning? And I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In Acts chapter 6, there's a story 
in Acts chapter 6 that I have been wrestling with for probably two months now. And it's as the, the, the church, the New Testament church, is beginning to form and take root, right? And if you read the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts, you'll take notice or you'll begin to realize that thousands of people, through, through the preaching of the gospel, whether it's Peter or John or whoever it may be, as they're preaching the gospel, thousands of people are coming to know Christ. They're coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And so... The kingdom is advancing. The church, as we know it, is growing. And then we have Acts chapter 6. So follow along with me. We're going to read the first seven verses and then begin to make our observation, interpretation, and application. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenistic Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Is it not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nacor, Timon, Parmas, Nicholas, proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let me pray with this. God, uh, we do thank you for the time. We thank you for your word. And we just ask right now that as we begin to, to look at and study your word, corporately and collectively God that individually you would speak to our hearts however you see fit however it's needed God I pray that your word would speak to us that it would challenge us that it would convict us and that it would change us in Christ's name Amen so you've read, you've seen, you've heard the first seven verses in Acts chapter 6. Observation. There was a problem, right? There was a problem. The Hellenistic Jews approached the Hebraic Jews with an issue, with a problem, right? That problem being that they felt like their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, in our interpretation, we're going to unpack that just a little bit more, all right? But let me explain real quick the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews in, in as simple as layman terms as I can put it without going into just in-depth. Most commentaries, again, just as simply put as I can, the Hellenistic Jews were basically transplants, right? They were considered the outsiders, okay? 
where the Hebraic Jews were the, uh, the homegrown, as uh, they put it in, in Sunday school, right? They were the natives in Jerusalem, okay? So the Hellenistic Jews came to the Hebraic Jews. One, one, one person came and presented this issue to the uh, uh, apostles, right? Now, here's my other observation or the other observation that I made by, based on reading this text. In verse 2, it says that after the complaint came, right? After the complaint arose and was presented, in verse 2 it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. And they said this, is it not desirable for us to leave, quit, stop preaching the word of God and wait on tables? In other words, what they're saying is, should we stop preaching the word of God and go wait on tables and serve the people? And some people, their observation, just in reading it, would go, why would they say that? That's a jerk thing to say. Why in the world would somebody say that? Go unpack that a little bit more in the interpretation. So, let's go down to the interpretation. Alright, so we have a general observation, right? There's an issue. The issue's presented. They gather all the people together, right? They make a collective decision, and they select seven men, right, to handle this issue that's been presented. So, why was this a problem? As we begin to look at our interpretation, why was this an issue? Well, if you begin to read back in the New Testament church as it began to to take root, what was the overall uh, desire of the church? If you go back and you read the members of the church, the Christians, right, the converts would sell everything that they had. If they sold anything, they gave it to the church. Whatever they had, they sold. And they gave it to the church for the daily distribution to make sure, to ensure that the needs of the people were being met. That was it. And so why was this a problem? Because the the needs of the people were not being met. Now, some commentaries, and it depends on which one you read, some are going to say that this was unjust, this was unnecessary for this problem to be presented. Other commentaries are going to suggest that this, this absolutely needed to be presented. And I maintain my personal opinion, yeah, this needed to be presented, because why? Because if you look in verse 1, at the very last part of verse 1, it says that the, the people's needs, the widow's needs, were being neglected. Guess what? That's why the church, at that time, that was their sole purpose and desire, was to provide for the needs of the people, the widowed and the orphaned. And one man stood up and said, wait a minute, our people's needs aren't being met. Isn't it amazing in this world how when somebody stands up for something they're convicted by, they get absolutely chewed up and spit out. That's happened to you. It's happened to me. Some people want to look at this and, and maintain that, that he was just being greedy. He felt like he deserved more than what they were being given. That's up to your interpretation. 
Alright? But it led me to this question as I began to interpret this scripture. What is a legitimate need presented to the church? What is a legitimate need presented to the church? How, how, do, you, how do you classify it as that? How do you define it as a legitimate uh, need, or, or in this case, a legitimate complaint? Right? What, what, is, what is a legitimate complaint? As we look at this scripture, and, and I begin to, to study it and look at it, I thought, well, to me... It's, it's anything that, that is detrimental to the testimony of the church. That's a legitimate complaint presented to the church. That's a legitimate complaint. You see, the church at this time, alright, unbeknown to Peter, some needs weren't being met. And the complaint was presented in such a way. Here's what I love about this text. Peter did not make a knee-jerk reaction. Peter didn't make the decision on his own. The Bible says that they, they summoned the whole group, right? They summoned all of the disciples. They brought the whole group together, and Peter presented it to them. That tells me it must have been a legitimate complaint, or they wouldn't have paid any attention to it. But Peter brought everybody together. And that's where he said, should we step away from the gospel to wait on tables? Should we step away from teaching and preaching the gospel to wait on tables? Some people would go, man, that's arrogant. Why would, why would a minister of the gospel say that? Why would they say that? That's where the application comes in. I told you, we're not going to be here much longer. That's where the application comes in. I'm going to tell you, something that I've learned over the last couple of weeks is this. Transparency equals freedom. Think about that for a second. When you are completely and fully transparent, guess what? You have freedom to be who you are and who God has called you to be. Both professionally and personally. The other way I'm able to take and apply this text in my life is this right here. I don't think Peter and the, the disciples were being arrogant. I don't think they were too good to wait on tables. Here's what I think. I think they understood and they knew exactly where God had called them and positioned them, and that was to preach the gospel. And they realized that they could not do everything for everyone, and they needed help. They needed help. In order to advance the kingdom, in order for the gospel to continue to change lives, they needed somebody or a group of guys to come in and help them do that. You know how I define that? That's a group of men that stayed in their lane. Kenny and Mark have heard me talk about this. Sandra's heard me talk about this. Our church council has heard me talk about this. Staying in our lane. Listen, I'm a fixer. If there's an issue, I want to fix it. I want to fix it. And it might be awkward, but if there's an issue, I'm going to call you. Or I'm going to talk to you face to face. But I want to fix it. 
But you know what I figured out? You know what I found out in, in my time in life? I can't fix everything. And a lot of times, you know what I end up doing? I end, I end up inserting myself into something that I have no business being a part of. And you know what that means? I've stepped outside of my lane. That's where the whiteboard comes in. All right? I'm, I'm a coach at heart, okay? So we're not drawing X's and O's, all right? Most everybody won yesterday, so you're happy, all right? But I said most everybody, okay? Um, all right, track, right? You runners, track with me here, okay? A track. How is a track defined? Lanes, right? Track is defined by lanes, right? Not only lanes, but then what? Numbers. That's exactly right. All right. Man, y'all are getting into my world right here. You see how bad my handwriting is. But that's all right. I was taught that way. All right. We're going to go, for the sake of time, we're going to go with ten lanes, right? All right, you see that. There are ten lanes. Now, in track, if you're running in competition, okay, if I'm in lane two and at some point in time I step over into lane one or I step over into lane two, guess what happens? I'm disqualified. Right? I'm disqualified. So, here's my challenge to all of us this morning. What lane are you in? Now, erase those numbers and put your job, professionally, your job, right? Corporately, as a church, here in this church, as a body of believers, where's your lane? What is your lane? Hopefully, it's clearly defined by lines. Maybe it's a job description. Right? Well, you've been there. I know you've been there professionally. You've been given guidelines. You've been given lanes. And so often we want to step outside of our lane and do somebody else's job. That even happens within the church. We step outside of our lanes and we try to fix things and we try to do things that, you know what? God has not called us and positioned us to do. I'm telling you, I've found more freedom and being transparent with people and telling them, hey, listen, I need you to help me stay in my lane. Both professionally and personally. Because there are things that come up in your life, there's things that come up in my life that I want to try to handle and I want to try to fix. Ultimately, the bottom line, at the end of the day, I can't fix everything. And so in my life, I've got to define five or six buckets in my life, five or six lanes in my life that I can run in. And that's it. Because what I've found is when I try to step over into somebody else's lane, you know what I end up doing? I slow them down or I trip them up. And that's no good. Because you know what that does? That, end up, that ends up hurting the entire team. That hurts the entire team. So this morning, as we look at this text, we see Peter. I think Peter understands and knows, along with the other apostles or disciples, he knows the lane in which God has called them and gifted them in, and that is preaching the gospel. So you know what they do? They begin to create lanes beside them, saying, hey, listen, I need you to come alongside me, and I need you to run in this lane beside me with me, and make sure that the needs of the widowed 
and the orphans are being taken care of. That's teamwork. That's teamwork. Listen, ultimately, what I get out of this text is servanthood. It's not arrogance. It's not a, I'm too good for that or I'm too good for this. Listen, if we're a church made up of that, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You can forget advancing the kingdom if that's the mentality that we have. Our mentality from top to bottom should be servanthood. You know what Peter saw? Peter saw the advancement of the kingdom and the impact of preaching the gospel down the road. That's what he saw. And as a leader, he understood and he realized we've got to do something now to make sure that happens. And if we don't bring people in to run alongside us, we're going to be in trouble. This thing is going to get out of hand and it's going to get out of hand quick. There's a servanthood mentality there. I've got to stay in my lane. And you know what? I've got to be completely and fully transparent because when I am, I have freedom to be who I am. Listen, I'm not perfect. I know I'm up here preaching to you, but I want you to know I'm not perfect. Do I get outside of my lane? Yeah, even to this day I do. But I have people around me that I know will call me out for that because I've asked them to. Because I know that I need that. Listen, this morning, I'm simply going to ask you this question and we're going to close. Professionally, in your job, where you're at, what lane are you running in? Corporately, as a body of believers, what lane are you running in? Because I'm going to tell you, if you're not running in a lane, guess what? It's hurting the whole team. It's hurting the whole team. What lane are you running in? Personally, what lane are you running in? Listen, if you can't define what lane you're running in personally, guess what? Corporately and professionally, it doesn't matter. Because you don't know. You've got to know. What lane are you running in? My prayer this morning... I know some of you are going to take the Swiffer in the bowl and you're going to remember that for a lifetime because it was just that great of a story, right? No. Don't remember that. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. God has called you and He has positioned you to run in a lane. What lane is that? What lane is that? Maybe that's your prayer this morning before you leave. God, help me. Help me see, define for me my lane. And help me run in that lane the best that I can to be the best teammate that I can possibly be for my coworkers, for my church family, and for my personal family. Help me run in my lane. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you most of all for the call that you have placed on our lives. God, I have no idea where everyone sits this morning. Some, I'm sure, have clearly defined lanes in their life. God, I have to believe that there's some that, that have no clue. God, I pray that this morning, during this time, they're begging you, they're crying out to you to help them see the defined lanes that you have for their life. 
God, this morning, there, there may be someone here that, that they have no clue what I'm talking about. They wouldn't without knowing Jesus first. And so, God, this morning, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs Jesus in their life, and they want to know what it means to run in the race, they want to know what it means to have clearly defined lines mapped out in your word. God, I pray they wouldn't leave this morning without making that proclamation. God, have your way during the next couple of minutes as we sing a song, God, rest in our hearts. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.